and welcome to the MBOM podcast, where you'll learn to master the business of yoga. MBOM is a proud part of the Wander Barn Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Amanda Kingsmith. I'm a 500-hour registered yoga teacher, a yoga business coach, and a total business geek. Here at MBOM, you'll learn everything you need to know to create a sustainable yoga business by learning from myself and guests from around the world about how they built their yoga businesses and about how you too can become a successful yoga teacher, studio owner, and much more. All right, let's dive in. Hey friends, I just wanted to pop in and talk a little bit about MBO behind the scenes. When I entered the yoga world as a teacher, I was surprised by how many yoga teachers were struggling with the business side of yoga. And that's why I created MBO. MBOM helps yoga teachers and studio owners become entrepreneurs. It helps you to go from surviving to thriving with your yoga business. I am on a mission to change the yoga industry, to teach yoga teachers and studio owners about the business of yoga, and to help you feel more confident, successful, and abundant. After releasing hundreds of podcast episodes, I want to create content that dives deeper into helping yoga entrepreneurs thrive and elevate their businesses. This is where MBOM Behind the Scenes comes in. Each week, you will get bonus content from the weekly guest or myself, diving deeper into how you can take the teachings and apply them to your business. This podcast is designed for yoga teachers and studio owners who are ready to take it to the next level. If you enjoy MBOM and have been looking for an affordable way to learn more, this is it. For the cost of two lattes per month, you will get never-before-heard content that you can't access anywhere else that will give you tangible ways to dive deeper into your yoga business. If this sounds like something you're interested in, let's dive in. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash MBM yoga and sign up to get behind the scenes now. Once again, that's patreon.com forward slash MBOM yoga to get all the exclusive behind the scenes content. I'll see you there. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the MBM podcast. I am super excited for you to hear today's episode of the show. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by Offering Tree. Offering Tree is my number one recommendation for yoga teachers and wellness professionals in their businesses. You hear about all these different software programs and different things that you need in your business, like a website and an email list and a scheduling software and a course software and a membership platform and a video platform. And Offering Tree is all of these things in one place. It allows you to pay one monthly fee or even a yearly fee and just have one login, one password, super, super convenient. So I'm going to tell you more about Offering Tree a little later on in the episode, but if you are interested in checking them out, you can check them out for free or check them out using my link so you get a special discount at offeringtree.com forward slash MBM. And today on the podcast, I am very excited to be joined by Lily Allen Duenas. Lily is an international yoga teacher, a meditation guide, and holistic health and wellness coach. She's also the founder of the Wild Yoga Tribe and is the host of the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast, which you guys definitely need to go check out. And she also works with individuals to help them with their marketing, graphic design, and branding. 
And in this episode of the podcast, Lily shares her journey as a yoga teacher, how she had built a business teaching across the globe. And obviously, when the pandemic hit, Lily was forced to slow down and stay put, which allowed her to focus on other areas of her business, including supporting clients with their businesses. So one aspect of this is social media. And this is really what we dive into in today's episode. So we discuss the importance of social media, how to use social media effectively in your yoga business and in a way that you know, going to build community and, you know, not create an anxiety and stress. And she shares some of her top tips for using social media, batching reels, and much more. So if you've been on the fence about whether or not social media is for you and your business, I think there's some really good stuff in here. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. And without further ado, here is Lily. Welcome to the podcast today, Lily. I'm really excited to have you here with me today. Thank you, Amanda. I am pumped to be here with you. Yeah, I'm really excited for our conversation. I think it's going to be really fun. And I'm wondering if you can start by just sharing where in the world you're joining us from. Yeah, I am here today in Calais, France. Amazing. And for those people, including myself, who are not that familiar with like French geography, where whereabouts in the country is that? Yeah, I'm on the absolute northern coast, uh, so I can actually see the UK <laughs> it's, um, from the, the beach. I'm just about a 10-minute walk from the beach where my apartment is with my husband, and then when I walk there, I can check out the English Channel, walk along the coastline, and then on a nice day when it's not too foggy or cloudy, can catch the UK from there. Amazing. That's so awesome. And I'm sure that maybe this will come up at some point. You can tell us a little bit more about how you ended up in in the in France and all that type of stuff. But maybe let's start with your yoga story. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got into yoga and what inspired you to become a yoga teacher? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think I first came to yoga when I was 16. I was um just going into a gym with a friend and we saw that a yoga class would be offered that weekend, or maybe it was a weeknight, but we ended up just going together. And in that classroom, I just, oh, I just felt this whole different new energy, new way of being just this, it just was so different than anything I'd ever experienced while at the same time, feeling really familiar and really, you know, just that like coming home. So it was just this so transformative, just this one class, one time that it made me very curious. And I continued to go a few times to the classes, but then when I went away to university, I was going, you know, four or five times a week to a studio. Uh, so I definitely had the strong affinity for yoga, this beautiful relationship of just feeling so at home with it. And then I did enter the marketing field. I was a marketing manager, um, for about seven years uh, before I felt this strong, strong calling in my heart for fulfillment and for something um, yeah, more meaningful for my purpose, you know, more aligned with my purpose. And that was to become a yoga teacher. So once my inner voice said it's time, <laughs> I, within like three weeks or two weeks, I had a plane ticket. I had my yoga teacher training picked out in Nepal. I had a month sabbatical from work approved and boom, boom, boom away. I went. That's amazing. And you said you went to Nepal for your teacher training? Yep. In Kathmandu at Nepal Yoga Home. Amazing. And what was that experience like for you, like being able to, you know, travel away and just kind of immerse yourself? Oh, it was absolutely 
the best experience. Uh, I've always been kind of a traveler. I studied abroad in Greece. I've worked abroad. I volunteered abroad. I've done a lot of good trips, even prior to that Nepal trip in, uh, I think it was 2017 that I did that. Uh, But being in an immersive 200 hour teacher training for a month, living, you know, on site with the other yoga students and the teachers and waking up, you know, 6am and then doing about 10 hours of, of training, maybe 12 hours in a day, um, it's not all asana practice. You're not doing yoga physically for that many hours, but it just felt so life-changing and just so like a, like a pressure cooker in a way, things like cl- things cook faster and you feel the, the kind of power and profoundness of the teachings even closer and bigger and more real. And there's definitely differences happening, like lightning fast in your body in your emotions and your mind, when you're just absorbing so much. Um, from like the source of yoga, it's Nepal, it's India, you know, it's, it's right around there. That's where the birthplace of yoga. So it just felt so, and I don't say it is Nepal. I don't say it is India because I know it's controversial and I don't want to pick a side right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it was, it's just, yeah, it was beautiful. I'm so lucky. Yeah, no, for sure. I hear that. I actually did my teacher training in Bali and I had been looking for a program in India and just for whatever reason, didn't find one that was, I guess, calling me in that moment and found one in Bali that I felt really drawn to. So I can really resonate with that. Like you're just really immersed in it. It's kind of like 24 seven, like you wake up and you just live and breathe yoga. And I feel like, you know, that way of learning is not for everyone, but I feel like for me, it was, it was such a good way to just kind of dive in. And I had the same thing, you know, a month off work and, I feel like I I just loved that experience. So it's cool to hear that you had something similar just in a different part of the world. Yeah, absolutely. I did um, some yoga classes in Bali as well. There's such a beautiful energy on that island. Yes, 100%. I think there's people that say it's like an energy portal. I don't know too much about that type of stuff, but I definitely believe that there's like some good vibes in that area. Definitely. Amazing. And so you do this teacher training and then at this point, are you still living in like the U S or are you living in France at this point? Oh yeah, no, definitely was living in the U S born and raised in California and did my university in the Midwest at the university of Iowa. And I was working in, um, in Iowa when this happened. And then after my TTC, um, I immediately was realizing even in the teacher training that it was just I'm meant to do this. I just felt so like, oh, I have to keep learning. I have to keep growing. I have to keep teaching or, or get on, get started with teaching and, you know, sharing this, this love and passion and connection with this practice and, and path. Uh, so I went back to the States, uh, went back to Iowa and then I pretty immediately, like within, um, you know, a couple months I put in my notice at work. I, boxed up all my stuff, moved out of my apartment and then transitioned to becoming a a nomadic yoga teacher and digital nomad. So I got a job teaching yoga on a small island in Cambodia, Korong Samluem at this little island resort, uh, about a three month-ish contract kind of there. And so I moved and I started teaching there and then just every three-ish months found another opportunity and moved for that. So was really lucky to continue to study, continue to learn, continue to do certifications and trainings. Um, and then as well teaching. So I got to teach at a surf hostel in Sri Lanka wellness center in the Philippines, 
um, hotels in Bali. I I've just had such a great time teaching and then continuing to do certifications and primarily in India and Rishikesh was where I've done quite a few trainings after that. Amazing. So you've really been able to kind of experience teaching like all over the globe, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. That's amazing. And so can you tell me a little bit about, you know, how you ended up, I guess, like more stationary in France and then a little bit about like what you're doing in your business these days? Yeah. So, um, I wouldn't, it it totally was a surprise COVID hit and I had my plane ticket to India. I was supposed to catch a week later, but then of course, international borders closed. I was, um, in the U S at the time I was there for a little, a longer trip than normal home to visit my family and my parents are separated. So I always have to, and they're separated by living half the country away from each other. So I have to spend usually longer trips to make sure I get good time in with my family. Um, so I was in the U S and I got stuck in the U S and my uh, fiance at the time, we were not married, (laughs) but he was in France visiting his family. Uh, we traveled together. He's a scuba dive instructor. So we always try to find jobs that whenever we can by each other and in the same cities and countries, um, like in the Philippines or in Bali. And so since we were both stuck away from each other, uh, we were trying as hard as we can and to get to each other, but with the COVID restrictions, it was, it was impossible to reunite until something in, I think it was September of 2019, uh, or no, sorry, September of 2020, I think that came out called the laissez-passer in France, which would allow significant others who could prove a long-standing relationship with a French citizen. And by prove, I mean, yep, sending you know photocopies of plane tickets together, sending photocopies of letters and, and Facebook messages, you know, all the proof you can that I'm in a real long relationship with a French citizen, get approval of that. And then I was approved. And in December on the 14th or 15th, I was able to fly to France. And then we got married (laughs) kind of, um, you know, just a, not, not a wedding, not a big, big ceremony or anything. Of course it still was, you know, COVID. And that's why we're here in France now is because we had to pick a place and be in a place because COVID made us do that. (laughs) Yeah. What a crazy story. And I just, can't even imagine what it would have been like to be separated, you know, from your significant other for so long with like no options. Like there, it's not like you can just decide that you're a French citizen now or that he's an American citizen. Like there's just, there really wasn't options during that time. And I'm glad that you were eventually able to make it over there and, you know, you guys were able to get married and find a home and stuff. And I think, you know, as a, as a traveler myself, I know we've talked a little bit about travels kind of offline I feel like, you know, the pandemic was like a very strange time. Like if you are somebody who doesn't really have a home base and you're nomadic and you move around, what do you do when the world closes down globally? You know, like it's like you're kind of forced to stay somewhere. And I'd love to hear a little bit about like, you know, just what it's been like for you to both personally and professionally to be stationary. Because obviously this must have been, you know, quite different for you and your husband and and for your business, since you're not able to like, you know, teach internationally the way you were before. Yeah. So I was lucky in a way that when I was stuck in the U S there was a winery. I, oh, and I'm from the Napa Valley, Sonoma County area. That's where the wine is 
predominantly produced in the U.S. Um, when I call it the wine country, my husband's family like practically slaps me because I am not from the wine country. They are from the wine country. <laughs> that would be France. Um, but it's it's a beautiful area. And I got very lucky that a winery was looking for a yoga teacher to come in on the weekends and teach to online over um, their membership platform as a you know give back to their members. They were doing virtual cooking classes, virtual concerts. Like they were so creative. It's this winery in Napa called Bouchane and they took me on and, and brought me in to teach on the weekends. And it was just the biggest gift to have that. Um, cause as a yoga teacher, when all the studios closed and all these restrictions happened, it was definitely, uh, difficult. And then I was able to teach some private classes for birthdays or for, you know, girls weekends in the Napa Valley and Sonoma County area. So very lucky about that. But then when I came to France, I really was leaning more into my uh, freelance work as a graphic designer and copywriter. And I have some clients I've been working with for a while, social media management, brand stewardship, all that stuff. Uh, but then actually in February, I got uh, hired on for an interim role. It was, I was there for uh, six months to help a nonprofit. It's a global women's nonprofit called the state of women. Um, and they focus on amplifying the voices of underrepresented women across all fields and, you know, on all spheres of knowledge. And I was brought on to, as their interim executive director to just kind of help them restructure and do some branding and brand refresh and everything that, you know, they needed help with. I was helping to kind of reframe, restructure, rebuild and grow um, the organization. So I kind of took a little break from teaching in that six month period, um, just teaching a couple online private things or conferences. And then at the same time, I was doing some online teacher trainings with this yoga school in India that I'd always wanted to go to, but I, I always go to the North of India or really far in the South. I've never, I've been to Kerala, Dharamsala, Amritsar and Rishikesh, and I've spent about four months there, but I've never been in the middle. And there's a yoga ashram called Yoga Point or Yoga Vidya Gurukul that I've always wanted to go to. And then they were offering gorgeous and so well-planned, so well-planned teacher trainings. So I did 150 hour prenatal postnatal training in um, the spring of this year, as well as 150 hour yoga psychology and philosophy. So I really took the, this time to do, you know, more learning more reading more, more classes and really get a, a few more skills uh, under my belt and then during this as well, I thought, oh man, I just miss teaching and I miss having these connections with people from all over the world. I, it's my favorite thing to be, to be talking to people from different cultures and different walks of life and, and feeling like we're doing today, <laughs> Amanda, it's, it's amazing to connect with you. And I love sharing stories and thoughts and everything we're going we're, we're doing. I, I love that. And so I also started a podcast focused on yoga. Um, so I'm the founder of the wild yoga tribe as well. I haven't mentioned that yet. It's a global yoga community, uh, focused kind of on shedding a light on the global yoga ecosystem and my podcast, the wild yoga tribe podcast, um, each week, every Friday, I release an episode where I have a conversation with a different yoga teacher from around the world. When we talk about their journey, their path, what yoga is like in their country. Often it's, um, like I, I've talked to the the first 
studio owner in Bahrain. And that was amazing to hear about what it was like for her, her, her community and her culture when she opened that up. Um, I talked to one of the first public studio yoga studio owners also in Saudi Arabia. And I, even this morning or this afternoon, I was on the phone with a woman from Barbados. Like I just love getting to have these conversations and then continue to kind of shine these lights on other people's paths and stories, methodologies, philosophies, and how that, um, you know, can, can inspire us to be more connected together. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. And we'll make sure that there's a link and whatnot in the show notes for your, for your podcast. So people can go check it out. Cause it sounds like you've interviewed some really, really amazing guests. And it's, it's really cool to hear that, like, you know, despite this, obviously not so great global event that we've gone through with the pandemic and stuff, you were able to, you know, pivot and shift gears in a way that was really able to work for you. And um, were you working in marketing, copywriting, branding, social media, kind of like prior to becoming a yoga teacher? Like, was that kind of your, I guess, quote unquote, big kid job before you decided to teach yoga? I love the quote unquote, big kid job, because I've always say quote unquote, in my past life, I was in marketing. Past life. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I was in marketing management. Yep. For seven years. And it was always in the nonprofit. I worked for university, um, part of their fine arts department and their, or their fine arts council. And then I worked as a marketing manager for a professional nonprofit theater company, like live comedies and dramas, not movies. <laughs> so I've always done marketing in the nonprofit world, which meant wearing a million hats. So I did, you know, I was the photographer, the graphic designer, the web developer, the social media manager, like everything fell to me. And so through those skills and, and that time, I kind of learned what I loved the most and what I didn't like so much. So yeah, when I quit that job in marketing to become a yoga teacher, I I still knew that I want, didn't want to let it go completely with the things I love the most, like writing, design work. And I, I still do have a lot of fun kind of on social media, but it's, it's a love hate, right? It's, I know we're here to talk about it. I got some great tips and some new things to talk about with everyone, but um, yeah, I think I've done it before and I continue to do it now because it's, it's, I still enjoy it. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And I'm just really resonating with the love hate with social media. And I work with um, yoga studios on top of yoga teachers and I, you know, do social media with them as well. And I always feel that that similar love hate. And so before we kind of dive into like the bulk of talking about, you know, social media and the tips you've prepared and stuff, I'd love to hear a little bit about like, you know, just having this background in business, like how you've been able to kind of weave that into your own teaching and your own, like your own business that you've created. Yeah, I think that no, there's not a single skill that we have as a as an individual that I think is lost when you become an entrepreneur. Even if you were like a cheerleader in in a, your at your university or something, there's still something from that experience you can take and use as a strength in your in your business as an entrepreneur. So I feel very lucky that I do have this you know, artistic background and, and this graphic design eye, this photography stuff as well, so that I can, yeah, I think have aesthetically pleasing posts. And I think I, since I've worked in nonprofit, I also can perhaps produce things for my clients or for myself at a more efficient um, rate, I think, than, than perhaps other people. I think I'm used to kind of produce, produce, produce. It doesn't have to be 
completely 1 million percent perfect, but does it look really stinking good? Okay, great. <laughs> like we're, we're good. Roll with it. You know, like if it looks great, but you know, maybe something is 5% not perfectly aligned, go, 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 go. So I think that's helped me and served me a lot to know don't obsess because especially in how social media works now, if you start obsessing over every single detail of every single post, you're, you're going to be miserable and it is already a miserable, it can be miserable, you know, already. So I think reducing those um, elements by kind of accepting, having compassion, having a good pace to it um, and not taking yourself like a too, too seriously, you know, I think that's also something that's helped. Yeah, for sure. I think that those are, you know, really great tips and and whatnot, and hopefully <laughs> resonate with some of the listeners. I know that they definitely resonate with me and my own business as well. And so, you know, we've both kind of said we have this sort of like love hate relationship with social media. So maybe let's let's dive in. Let's talk a little bit about social media. And I'm thinking maybe a good place to start is just like, you know, maybe for that yoga teacher out there who's kind of like. Eh, not so into it. It's a lot of work. I'd rather focus on teaching. Like why, why should we even be on social media? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I get it. I, I hear it. I feel it. I think we all feel it and it's not always fun. And there's, especially lately in the media with everything that's coming out about different social media channels and the negative impacts psychologically or research and studies that have proven things are a little bit negative, you know, in terms of fake news or in terms of how it impacts our youth, you know, the fact that it's been maybe ignored. Um, I know that there's, there's a lot of reasons to have a, a, you know, that love hate perhaps relationship there. So I just want to acknowledge that and say, you're not alone. We're all struggling and developing a healthy relationship with social media is so key. Um, and I do advocate though, especially for the yoga teacher that has a business or has an offering, um, or in the future even would like to have an offering or something. If if that's the direction you're going, there's a lot of value to be on social media because it's, it can be a place of building a community. I I really hate saying I have X amount of followers because followers, that, that word doesn't feel great to me. I like saying, I have a, you know, a loyal and beautiful community that it's a great way for, for them to reach me, see me, learn from me and, and use me as a resource. It's very accessible. It's, um, you know, how many billion people spend how many billion hours every day on social media. It's scary, but it's a, it's a good way to reach, to reach your community. And I think it's, it can get really icky when we start thinking of social media as an advertising platform, simply as a way to just announce, you know, what you're doing, promote your products, push your merchandise, advertise for your upcoming events, whatever it is. If you're just kind of blasting people, it's going to feel really, yeah, icky. And so I think showing up and being authentic, telling your story and providing some kind of value to your listeners I mean, you're going to even learn more if you're trying to provide value in your niche by, we'll say, talking about um, the chakra system. If that's like, that is your thing is the chakras and yoga. And then if you are you know, creating content and visuals to go along with that, you will learn more. I promise that the, the information will be even that much more accessible and you'll be that much of a better resource 
with your knowledge base because you're creating this content. It's like studying for a test. It's like learning by doing. It's all these great things that it can make you a better teacher actually to be creating the content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. And I really like the shift away from like followers more to community. And I feel like, you know, this is obviously a practice that that I struggle with myself because we see numbers and we see bigger numbers and we see smaller numbers. And we think that, you know, we put meaning on them. We think they mean a certain thing, but I really like to think about like quality over quantity. Like it really doesn't matter how many people you have following you. It's more about like, are these people actually interested in what you have to say? And to me, that's the difference between like a follower and somebody who's in the community. And I think we should be really striving for like cultivating community like a small group of people that actually is interested in what you have to say and, you know, is passionate about the same things. Like with that chakra example, like maybe they're passionate about that too. Like those are the type of people that you want to be spending your time engaging with, at at least in my opinion. Oh man. I think that's like everyone's opinion. I hope, because I agree. I hope so too. (laughs) Yeah. You want your community to be with people that you know, you want to be around, like if you are into, as I said, like the chakras, do you, do you really want like someone maybe who's completely anti chakras and, and you, do you want to track that kind of, you know, view? Of course you can get some trolls, but I I'm just trying to, again, reinforce it's like, you want your community to be um, beautiful and diverse and you want to be inclusive of course, but just think about how you can serve them, what value you can add to them and then nurture and nourish it. And I'm glad you mentioned numbers because I'm, it's also think about if you have, we'll say 600 people in your community, um, or quote unquote followers, right. On Instagram. And if you, if you're not really engaging with them and you're not getting, you know, those likes and shares, then think about how hard it's going to be when you have 10,000 followers, like really focus on serving your 600 and then it'll just grow slowly. However, slowly it's, it's going to grow to that, to larger numbers, because the numbers don't matter, as you said, quality over quantity. And I would love to tell our listeners, I learned this, this week at a webinar that just for example, on TikTok, even the top 50 brands, I'm talking about Nike, like brands like that, like top 50 brands, all of their likes um, that they get on TikTok, it's only 15% maximum of their followers. That's huge to me that it's like, if you have a, you know, 10,000 followers on Instagram, then if you're only going to be expecting to get about 15% maximum of your followers actually engaging with your content, like that is your, your bar. Like if you have a hundred followers and you get 15 likes, high five yourself. Like that is what you're, what exactly you're shooting for. Cause it's not even going to be populated to the other, you know, 75 sometimes like it, it's a numbers game. It's an algorithm game. It's a ridiculous game, but it was just something that I found a lot of like comfort in, in knowing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that gives me comfort too. And I'm sure other people listening, I know I have a a coaching client who's been really resistant to social media. And part of it is just like the anxiety of, you know, you spend all this time cultivating this post and then it's really hard not to get sucked into the numbers. Like why did only 15 people like my post or why did only 20 people like my post? But I think that, you know, that little stat is like a good way to kind of reframe like everyone who follows us is not going to like our post. And I mean, part of that is like you said, the algorithm, like 
people just aren't seeing our posts sometimes, which is really frustrating, but we can't really control that in a lot of ways, at least not to my knowledge. Maybe you have some other advice on that. Well, the only piece of advice that really comes to to mind in that realm is actually about micro video content. So specifically the TikToks or the Instagram reels, which again, are going to translate soon over to Facebook. I'm pretty sure like real content's going to start to be able to be over there as well. Um, and there'll be a real section on Instagram or on Facebook now too. I, I don't know, but there was some announcement about that. And then micro video content um, under 60 seconds is also on Pinterest. So this is not um, micro video content is king. And as you said, you don't really can't control how many people are seeing it unless it's paid. However, uh, with micro video content, it has a much longer shelf life than anything on your grid. So I'll I'll just speak specifically right now about reels um, on Instagram. So they can blow up and get viral at any time, at any time. And in fact, there's charts that'll show you get more views, you know, weeks later than you even do in the first 24 hours. Cause each reel is like a lottery ticket. I, I like to think of it that way because it could just blow up at any time because of the music that you chose, or if your account starts to get more popular, it's going to start repopulating those reels. So I love that knowing that it's not something static and stable that just like my grid post, if someone didn't see it in the first 24 or 48, it's buried. It will, it will not be found unless there's a relevant hashtag. And that relevant hashtag happens not to have that many people posting about it either, which means I'm still being shown up in their search bars, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think that this video content has a lot of opportunities for us to actually create things that can, yeah, have a longer shelf life. And what I would like to bust is one myth about the reels too. And I hear this from my clients where it's like, oh, I shouldn't post two two times a day, anything, no, no, or three times, no, because then I'm competing with myself. Like Instagram will only show like one thing to my followers. If that, like no way. And that's a total myth. Uh, Instagram has has come out and said it. No, no. It's like having two horses in a race, not just one. It's doubling your chances of winning. And so post consistently algorithm loves consistence. And then there's the other thing that's um, fun to say, of of course, that's don't post and ghost. Uh, Instagram also prefers if after you post anything, if you're continuing to interact on their platform for roughly 15 minutes, they kind of kind of kind of sketchily give you a little higher priority or something. So that's a little bit more on the, the, I don't know, DL. But if you were looking for actual announcements from Instagram, they have an account called creators and that's going to be like at creators, plural, and they are doing stats and tips and info and advice. And they do reels reports, even where they're talking about best practices and top tracks to use that are trending. So I always recommend my clients to follow at creators to stay in the news or in the net, in the know with all the news (laughs) and their announcements, because even in September, October, November, they made some really big changes. And so if if you want me to mention them, I, I, I can, rattle them off, but if not, they're all on creators. Hey, yoga teachers, we're just taking a quick break from the podcast to talk a little bit more about Offering Tree. If you've been teaching yoga classes for a while, the first step to leveling up your business is creating a membership. 
But if you're teaching online, it's not so easy to use punch cards or in-studio systems to track your memberships. That's why I love recommending Offering Tree. With Offering Tree, you can create memberships in the same place where you sell classes or on-demand courses. With memberships on Offering Tree, you can offer perks like access to a video library, discounted or free classes, and a whole bunch of other benefits. To access member benefits, all your students have to do is log into your site. Of course, we always want things to be very simple for us on the back end and the administrative side of things, but even more importantly than that, we want things to be simple for our students. And with the Offering Tree platform, everything is super simple, both for you as well as for your students. Now, memberships aren't the only thing you can do on Offering Tree. It's an all-in-one business platform that makes it easy to sell classes, videos, courses, and memberships all in one place. You can design a website with Offering Tree and start accepting payments in 30 minutes. I'm not even joking you. It's really that easy. Or if you already have a website you love, you can easily embed their tools on your platform. And the best part is MBOM listeners get a special discount. Head on over to offeringtree.com forward slash MBOM to get your special discount. That's offeringtree.com forward slash MBOM. All right, now back to the show. Yeah. I mean, is there any that you feel like are are pretty relevant for somebody who's in like the yoga teaching space to kind of know about? Yeah. I would say what was most, the biggest kind of drops for me was that hashtags. I mean, it's something we argue about forever and it's, but Instagram finally came out and said in September that if, for, if you want your post to be found in search with a hashtag, you have to put that hashtag in the caption. We always, you know, kind of would sometimes, oh, I want to keep my caption looking really pretty and clean. I'll write it in my comment. The first comment, I'll just put all my 30 hashtags there, right? Nope. Uh, They've really come out and said for it to be found, if you want to have hashtag yoga in Mexico, you have to have that in your caption. That was huge. And then as well, they said only three to five hashtags. In fact, they like word for word saying like adding 10 to 20 more will not help you get any additional distribution. So it's really, really negatively kind of saying, don't even try to do the 30 maximum. We're, we're not going to help you. We're not going to show you in the search anymore. We're only going to take your three to five. So I think that's hyper relevant because I used to do 30, you know, why not use the max, put it in my comment. No one will notice, but that's huge. Three to five hashtags only in the caption. And then my other piece of advice I always say is when you're picking your three to five hashtags pick your hashtags that have less than half a million uses. So no hashtag yoga, none of that. (laughs) I don't even hashtag yoga every day. Like no, like do it as specific as you can to your location, to your niche and to what you're doing. Yeah, no, those are really good tips. I didn't know about either of those. And yeah, I feel like I kind of gave up on the 30 hashtags like ages ago, just because I feel like thinking of 30 hashtags seemed like a lot of work, but good to know that I haven't been like, you know, doing anything, anything wrong really. So that's good for yoga teachers to know, you know, keep it in the actual caption and then you don't have to do as many. So I feel like that's great. And just be more specific about which ones you're using. So you're not, you know, if you're like a little baby yoga teacher with a baby account, I mean, that's a beautiful thing, but doing hashtag yoga is probably not going to get you into the search features. So those are some great tips. Um, what other, what other tips on social media do you have for us today? 
Sure. Uh, I'd love to say that when you have a caption, when you're writing it on any account, it's really, except Twitter, because it's, you know, just very small, but it's best to have your caption broken into small paragraphs that are about two to three lines each and use emojis to kind of draw attention to where, um, you know, to keep the eye moving. And so you're to have your hashtags at the end. And then also right before that, I like to say, use a CTA, use a call to action, um, always say like, do you agree? You know, po- re- use an emoji to show me how you feel about this, or let me know in your comments below, or, you know, some call to action and trying to get them to respond to the post itself is really key and keeping those small little paragraphs. If these small paragraphs in your caption has to be happens to be coming and you're real and in that video content, it will continue to count while they're reading it, it'll continue to count those as more and more views because a view is three seconds until the video completes. So I used to wonder that I was like, when I'm scrolling, what actually counts as a view? You know, we all scroll like lightning fast now until we stop on something we like, you have three seconds to hook their attention. And if you can keep them for three seconds, you get rewarded with that gold star of a one more view added to your, added to your numbers. And the more views you have, the more it'll be continued to be propagated. So there's benefits. So hook them, have a CTA, have your captions broken down into small two to three lines, use lots of emojis. Also, I love giving the advice that when you tag um, people in uh, in a story, if you're going to do, you want to do hashtags or you want to do like tagging a couple people, a couple businesses, a couple locations, you can actually take your finger and drag that tag across the screen until it disappears. It looks like you just slid it off completely off your phone. Um, You can't see it, but it actually still counts it. It still registers as a tag, which is amazing because then it doesn't clutter up your stories. It doesn't clutter up what you're doing. It keeps it really you know, clean, but it still counts, which helps people find reshare and all that, your content. So I guess those were a little specific. Um, I, I don't know. I, maybe I should speak a little bit more broadly about, um, different, different ways about feeling comfortable sharing your, yourself and your brand. Do you think that would be beneficial? A little step back or. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We can definitely do that. And I feel like those were all, you know, really great specific things. So yeah, why don't we take a step back and kind of, you know, talk about how we can get comfortable with that. Okay. Yeah. I I love to dive deep into like the nitty gritty of like why a carousel is better than a blah, blah, blah. But I know that some listeners are probably like, oh, I don't even want to make anything. How do I, how do I even know what to do? Um, And what I really like to say is if you don't know where to start, just start kind of looking at some of the brands that you admire or people in your exact same space. So if you are a yoga teacher in, um, we'll say in Tulum, Mexico, and you are just getting started, just look at a couple other yoga teachers in Tulum or in Oaxaca where you are going to say, okay, what are they doing? What are they offering? Like, how are they you know, showing up in this space with their message. So after you do a little bit of, well, what we like to call competitor analysis, you're just going to kind of get a feel for what's being offered and see if there's a gap, if there's something to fill or see if something really aligns with you and it's something you want to try as well. And then after that, I always recommend after checking out what's already going on, write down 10 
brands you would dream to work with and then look at their audiences and their content and then think about how you can find those audiences online and what type of things do they need and how can you speak to them? And I usually think about it in terms of pain points. Like, what are they struggling with? Like, do you really want to reach um, new mothers with yoga? Do you really want to say, I really know how hard that is to be a new mom. I want to provide them with, you know, stress relief, help with sleep, um, how to get their, um, their mental health back in a, a space that, that feels more aligned to where the, where they should, where you'd like them to be, you know, is that, is that what you want to do? And, and then think about the pain points, think about how you can help and then create your, your kind of content and your ideas for how to, how to serve that community. That's it's creating your voice or, and, and showing your personality because you want your, your viewers, your audience, your community, they, you want them to know you and to like you and to trust, to trust you. And if you're completely absent from your pages, like totally you're, you're absent. That's, that's how can they know you or like you or, or trust you? Like they need to know that they need to get to know you. So figure out some boundaries. What are some things you will do and you won't do? What are some things you will share and you won't share? Just write them down. I love journaling. I love having things in writing. I always feel like it's more of a a promise to myself when I write, um, have them down, have them available, know what you will do, know what you won't, and then figure out how you want to show up and how you want to serve because you can, you need to figure out too, by taking that step back, how comfortable you feel sharing yourself and your story. And you need to, you know, make that clear to your community and, and how you engage with them. I, it's all about service for me. Um, it's all about how I, you can, you can serve something by building these, um, containers kind of by building these little containers for your community to thrive in. Yeah, for sure. Those are, those are really great tips. And do you have any thoughts on, you know, for somebody who is maybe struggling with this, like one thing I hear quite a bit is like, you know, how do I actually like sit down and write the content? So, you know, we're starting by like looking at what other people are doing, maybe getting some ideas and, you know, kind of seeing where we can fill that gap. But then, you know, just as somebody who's done this for a while, do you have any tips in terms of like your own workflow for actually like creating content? Because I feel like the thing I hear the most is like, I spend like an hour writing something and then I post it and I'm like, Oh, finally I got it out. But then I'm like the next day I need something else, you know? (laughs) Oh yeah. That's, that's uh, exhausting is exhausting. And there's so many different ways that you can feel pressured to create different content in different, for different accounts or different, you know, Pinterest and YouTube and Instagram, and just focus also on serving your community where you think they are. You do not have to be on every single channel and platform. If your focus is on teenagers and kids and you want to do yoga for kids, you do need to be on TikTok. That That is where they are. You probably don't need to be on Facebook. That's not where they hang out. But it just do some analysis and, and some looking, as I said, take a step back, look at your competitors, even though I don't love that term, sorry, uh, look at your the people who are doing what you love and then look at the br- the brands look there but then in terms of actually creating the content what i do and what i advise and what i love is i set one day a month that's it i set one day and i do 
as much as I possibly can. It is my goal to create in that day, 30 graphics and 30 captions and have it all scheduled out on later.com, or you can use buffer Hootsuite, whatever scheduling tool you like. I really like later. Um, it's, they have free options there, um, as well, or I think it's 15 a month, not bad Facebook and Instagram. If those are your two main, um, main platforms, they actually just have a business suite and you can schedule everything for completely for free. It's very user-friendly as well. You can do all your hashtags, your geo tags, your tagging, in a, you know, if you're tagging at aloe yoga or something, you can tag there too. Um, so I like to set a solid time, a container for myself. And man, is that day a tough day? My husband knows like avoid her, like, <laughs> give her space, <laughs> like come home with a croissant. Like she needs it. Like he knows those are my are really rough days. And I'm, I struggle a lot because it's, it's a challenge, um, to create any content. It is that big, like, ah, you know, that grind and that push and that pull, and it's not good enough and it'll never look good enough. And, but I don't, and I can't say it, but if you get in the rhythm and in the flow and you made five, keep going, keep going, keep going, boom, you'll, you'll get in your own zone and you'll feel awesome when it's done. And you know, you are done for the month. Um, but if you're someone who has a little bit more, um, you know, offers that come up more organically or spontaneously, then also leave some space maybe in there where you don't post every day. You, you only have content going every other day of the week or just Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that's it. So then, you know, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, if you have something you want to share, just organically go there. That being said, I do also think that my real content, my video content, I do not ever have a month of that ever. I usually have like three days, um, so that I think it's best to create, um, two, three at a time, do four at a time, do whatever you can do at a time. I love to batch create those as well, because that's the day that I, you know, I get out my tripod and I, and I definitely have showered that day, you know, it's yeah. the day that <laughs> it's the same. maybe I, put on a little mascara, comb your hair. <laughs> Oh, I don't know about coming here, but I, I do some stuff to look okay. I like pat it down a little bit, you know, <laughs> looks like, it looks, looks like I'm not homeless <laughs> for sure. Um, so yeah, batch create. And then also I love Canva. I'm a huge, I adore Canva. I was trained in Adobe Photoshop, did a ton of work learning that. Um, so I recommend Adobe products, of course, but Canva has beautiful templates, a lot of help. And I do a lot of graphic design work as well. So if anyone needs help, feel free to reach out. Um, definitely open. I have some space for some new clients coming up in the new year. So let me know if you need any work. I'm here. Um, but if not, batch create, sit down, get in a groove. And even you can get into a pattern where every Monday is going to be a quote. Every Tuesday will be a yoga asana every Wednesday is going to be a mudra every, you know, just get in a pattern too, like see what works for you. And then don't, you don't have to, as well, as I said, do it every day of the week. Um, consistency is amazing, but set what works for you. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all of that. That's definitely very similar to my strategies as well. And what I usually suggest to people who find creating content kind of a nightmare. I know I have like a spreadsheet or like a content calendar and kind of like a rhythm that I go in with it and try to, you know, batch as far, far in advance as I can. And, you know, similar to what you were talking about of having that like one day a month where it's kind of torture, but you get it all done. One question I have for you, cause I'm not 
super well-versed with reels. It's not really a world I've dabbled in, in a ton so far. And I know they've been out for ages, so that's probably not a great thing, but is the Instagram platform, the only like place that you can actually create the reels and then can you schedule them? Or is that like something that you still have to go in and just go from drafts and post? Great, great question. To my knowledge, there's no place offline that you can schedule a reel, but you can save it in your drafts in Instagram. That being said, um, there is absolutely software out there for creating reels. I create some of my reels in Canva even. It's just a video that's less than 60 seconds. Um, and some that you can add music to, not add music to, you can do, you can do you, <laughs> but uh, Canva is great for it. And then another, the most popular, I would say number one real creation software is an app called InShot. And that's one word, I-N-S-H-O-T, InShot, um, is awesome for those reels that you see where people have a, a beautiful little 15 second song, and then they're flashing videos or photos at you, you know, one per second. It's, it's great for that. And the app though, InShot, I think there's a seven day trial, but then it's $40 for the year or 60 for life, some, something in, in that range. And right now I'm talking to you all in 2021, the end of it. So maybe rates will change, but I recommend getting InShot and then consider a different uh, video editing tool as well. You can use even iMovie has editing, you know, every Mac product is even I think, or iPhones are programmed with that. So editing software is great, but I do most of my reels that are just me doing something silly with a silly song in the background. I do that all in reels. And the reason why is usually reels are really aligned with music. Like you're perfectly saying the words of a a song and you're pointing out a few things or whatever you're going to do. I find that real software, it's pretty user-friendly. You can Google how to make an Instagram reel and in a 10 minute video, a very helpful, you know, video blogger is going to show you, walk you through how to do it. Um, because there's a few different things. It's great to know on like how to do transitions or how to, um, delay your, your recording. So it doesn't record you the second you hit record, you get your 10 seconds to step back and position yourself. There's alignment tools. So it's great to do a little tutorial. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for tackling that. That's all, that's all really good to know. So if anyone out there is looking to dive into reels, that's some really good information. And one thing I just wanted to add is I used to use Hootsuite for my scheduling and then they had a really great free plan, which was awesome. And their paid plans are not too expensive. I think they're 10, 15, $20 a month, depending on the plan. But um, I actually switched to Facebook Business Suite because everything's pretty much free in there. And I figured, you know, why not? And I actually really love this software. I think that they do like a really fabulous job with, with the software. So just wanted to vouch for that since that was something that you mentioned. Awesome. Yeah. And it is amazing how much $15 a month adds up when you think about all the softwares where Calendly, Schedulicity, Zoom, like everything, it, it really does add up. No, for sure. And like, I'm a big fan of like paying you know, companies and creators and stuff, because for me, like, obviously I want, you know, I give this podcast away for free. Of course there's advertising on it, but you know, that doesn't pay the bills at the end of the day. So it's like, you know, I want people to kind of engage further and and whatnot. So I, I hate to come across as like, Oh, just all the free stuff, but it, it does add up, you know, between like, I think I've got my domain and 
my hosting for my website. And then there's like, I pay for Acuity, which is monthly. I pay for ConvertKit. You know, there's Zoom Pro and, you know, you can easily get up to like a couple hundred bucks a month pretty quick. So if you can have a software that's really great for free, then why not? And I think Facebook Business Suite does do a really great job. For sure. Great pointing that out. Thanks, Amanda. Yeah, for sure. And so do you have any other tips that you wanted to share today regarding social media before we wrap up? Mm, I think we covered everything I had on my kind of mental checklist, but if there's any questions any of your listeners have, I know they'll probably reach out to you directly or, and you can forward any DMs or you guys can reach out to me at Wild Yoga Tribe. Amazing. And can you share, you know, a little bit more about where people can go to find you, your website, social media, all that good stuff? Thank you for asking. Yes. Um, please head on over to the wild or sorry, it's not the wild. I'll say it again. Please head on over to wildyogatribe.com. I have tons of resources, a great blog there. And then I have links to my podcast, which of course you can find wild yoga tribe podcast at Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Deezer, Google podcast. You can even ask Alexa to play it for you. So (laughs) wherever you want to listen to wild yoga tribe, go do that. I would love you to tune in and tap into these amazing yoga teachers from around the world. And, um, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest. Um, I hope wherever you are, I'll be there too. And you're welcome to meditate with me on insight timer or join me for free yoga class on YouTube. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, Lily. This has been really well, really wonderful. Thanks, Amanda. It's been a joy to be with you. All right. I hope that you enjoyed that episode of the podcast with Lily. Make sure you go check her out. Make sure you go listen to her podcast and all of that good stuff. Lily and I continued this conversation on MBO and behind the scenes, and I picked her brain on how she decides on training programs to take. So one of the things that I was really struck by Lily is how much training she's done as a yoga teacher. She's trained all over the world with different schools and programs. She's very, very well-versed and has a, a great diversification of trainings. And with such a saturated market, I feel like it's so hard to choose what training to actually take. And so she shares some really great tips in this episode, as well as some of her favorite schools that she's studied with. So if you would like to get access to that, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash Yoga. Of course, when you sign up, you get access to all other episodes, and we've got about 60 episodes behind the scenes. So lots of good stuff for you to listen to and all for the cost of, you know, two lattes a month, $10 a month. And we also have a second tier if you want to just support the show. It's just $2 a month. And of course, that is super, super helpful for me in production of the show. And then a big thank you to Offering Tree for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Make sure you go check them out at offeringtree.com forward slash MBOM. If you have any questions about if Offering Tree is right for you and your business, make sure you reach out to them or to myself. And of course, thank you to you for listening to this episode. I am so grateful that you've joined me for today's episode of the show, and I will see you next week. All right. Bye for now. Thank you so much for tuning in for this episode of the podcast to find links notes resources and everything mentioned in today and all episodes of the show you can head on over to mbomyoga.com 
You can find the podcast and myself on Facebook and social media at Mastering the Business of Yoga. And I would love for you to join the private Facebook community, Yoga Business Badasses. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please make sure you reach out to me at info at mbmyoga.com. And last of all, if you enjoyed this episode of the show, please make sure you hit subscribe and leave a review for the podcast. It would mean the world. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next week. Namaste. Namaste.